Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Ash Pumpkin. Ash Pumpkin? Yes, it's a powerful pumpkin that can be used to defeat the forces of evil. It's interesting, because I just started playing a game. This is a random aside, folks, and I'm sorry. I just started playing a game that's in early access called Have a Nice Death, and it's a 2D action platforming roguelike kind of like, um, uh, why can't I think of it now? Dead Cells. And the main character is Death. You play as Death. And you have an assistant who is an ash pumpkin, like legitimately is a pumpkin made of ash. It is weird that you would say that on today when I just started playing it earlier today. So go figure. (laughs) Ash Ash pumpkins works in a works in mysterious ways but we're not here to talk about ash pumpkins no today we're going to be continuing on with our series about the legendary artifacts of yore from the legion expansion we're not talking about 9.2 spoilers or story yet because people are still playing through it we don't want to speculate or ruin anything for anyone anytime soon and we know that some people uh want to play through it themselves and don't want to have it ruined by us and still want to have content to listen to. We will get to it, don't worry. But for now, we're going to continue on with this. And right now, we're going to be talking about, well, we were talking about Light and Void on Tuesday. We're going to talk about Light today. And this came up because we were talking about which ones to do next, and Matt pointed out, hey, Light artifacts are good. But we're not going to be talking about Holy Priest artifacts, no. No, no. We're going to be talking about Paladins. Uh, because, you know, we both play Paladins all the time. And I feel like Liz should be here for this one, actually. But regardless, uh, the Paladin... I mean, if art- you want, I can go and you can try and get her. <laughs> uh, but regardless, the Paladin artifacts from Legion are interesting for a number of reasons. Uh, one is a known item. Uh, it's one that we've already... We've known for years and has actually was marked a return to the game. Uh, and the other two were sort of talked about, kind of, but not really. I know... Uh, the silver hand was, but I don't think Truthguard or Oathseeker. Am I right in that? They're they're the silver hand is new to Legion. It's just that we knew that Tyr had a silver hand. We didn't know it was a hammer he carried around. We thought his hand was silver. Uh, and as for the Oathguard and Truthkeeper, they they are brand new to Legion. There's there was never anything about them before. Well, which one would you want to start with? I mean, if you don't start with Ashbringer, I feel like you'll be attacked <laughs> in the street by paladins. So that's probably um, accurate. <laughs> the, the Ashbringer is interesting because it's, it's, it's the only paladin artifact that is almost indistinguishable from its first wielder. Um, people talked about the Ashbringer and they weren't sure what they meant. If they meant the sword or the person. So the first person who wielded it was a paladin uh, named Alexandros Mograint. You've probably heard of him. If you've been playing Shadowlands, you've met him. Uh, he even recreated a sword like it when he got to the Shadowlands and is using it still. But Mograin first came to like prominence. I'll, I'll use the word prominence. During the Second War, uh, where he found a crystalline artifact on an orc necrolite that was attacked, was fighting the Alliance forces uh, atop and around Black Rock Mountain. When they were finally defeated, he touching the artifact that he was carrying this this strange blighted fell crystal destroyed his arm. Uh, it it ruined it. He he could barely use it, and he was struck by the the strange power of this terrifying thing. And so he brought it to a, a group of other paladins, friends of his, that were concerned with what had been happening 
during that war and the possibility of what it might happen next. Um, and this, this meeting took place in South shore. Uh, and the, the meeting, one of the things about that meeting is it's right around the time that thrall first escapes from human confinement. We know this because literally when you go uh, to the escape from Dernhold keep, uh, it, you know, dungeon in, in the caverns of time, if you take a shortcut, if you take a sidetrack and go to South shore, you can watch the meeting, which I thought was an interesting choice. Yeah, uh, it's actually happening, and you can actually even see famous uh, figures from the uh, Scarlet Monastery hanging around outside the meeting, just as kids living in South Shore. Uh, there's there's Sally Whitemane, who would grow up to be known as Inquisitor Whitemane, and then eventually, after death, be risen as the Death Knight Whitemane. Uh, there's Renault. Uh, Mograine, who you know from again Scarlet Monastery, he'll be coming up again later. Important, and there's yeah. this Jimmy Vishoth, who is now somebody else, but I don't know his new name. Sorry, they renamed him. Uh, so yeah, that's happening. That the meeting happens at the meeting when he reveals this artifact to the other assembled paladins. Uh, one of them, um, who is who's a uh, general Abendus, is like this thing is an abomination. It should be destroyed, and he blasts it with the light rather than it being harmed by the light. It takes on the characteristics of the light. Almost like it absorbed it in almost. Yeah. Right. Like they were mentioning that it was like drinking it in. Like it was, mm-hmm. yeah. Like a sponge. And there's never actually been any real explanation of what this artifact was. Uh, there's certainly a lot of implications to the artifact. One art, one possibility is that it is one of the Atamai crystals, which are famous, uh, Naru artifacts that were used by one of them was used by a uh, Velen to contact the Naru just before the uh, Burning Legion turned Argus into what it is today. That it's how he escaped with the Draenei who didn't want to become Eridar. Although that's not really accurate. It, the they were Eridar, they became Draenei. But we're trying to boil this down, guys. We got a lot here. Um, so that's one theory. Another theory is that it's literally a piece of a Naru. Which we've we've talked about on not just this podcast, but I think both you and Anne previously had written about that at several points mm-hmm. on the site, uh, where you've laid out a really good trail of making the case for it being a piece of the Naru. And I think Legion, I want to say, kind of reinforced that a bit, too, mm-hmm. as you're making your way through the story of it, because it has a lot of that same properties. And you've heard us talk yeah. about um, Naru. This is sort of a sidetrack, and I apologize, but... We've talked about Naru having sort of that light and dark cycle, and there seems to be an ebb and flow to it that can be triggered depending on, you know, how much light you take out of them or how much light you put into them. Uh, Actually, through the years, through questing and our interactions, we've actually participated in this several times, even going back to the Sunwell. Mm -hmm. But but in this particular case, the uh, other paladins seeing this this change start to happen to the crystal added their power and also you know, basically it blasted it with more light until it basically became this giant gleaming thing. And they were like, okay, what is this thing? And Mograin touched it and it healed his arm, the arm that it had been, it had destroyed previously. Mm -hmm. It was now healed. They all saw that and were like, what is going on? What did you find? And he's like, I don't know. I just took it off of a necrolite. I have no idea, but I think it's important. When the third war started, which was after Thrall had been had escaped for a bit. When when the Third War actually began in earnest, and Arthas returned with the undead, 
and destroyed his fa- killed his father and destroyed Lordaeron. Uh, these the people who were at that meeting, many of them decided to form an organization that would oppose the undead, and that's where the original Scarlet Monastery comes from. It, it's difficult today to realize that when the Scarlet Monastery was launched, it wasn't the fanatical militaristic group it was it is now it was literally just holding the line people it was anybody who could gather together and join their banner to hold the line and try and preserve what was left of, of lordaeron it's it's essentially the survivors from the walking dead yeah yeah you oh know, yeah it, it, i never thought of it that way now imagine if the if the survivors from the walking dead had access to paladins i mean that's basically the difference both uh, high general abendus and his daughter brigitte who in time would in, would become high general herself were a part of this group uh satan dathrathan who was one of the first paladins was a part of this group um obviously mograine himself and his both his sons were a part of the group and for a while it looked like they were going to actually pull something off like they were fighting very hard and they were they were making inroads against the the plague of undeath and might have accomplished something until uh, during a raid on Stratholm after you know after everything bad had happened to it after Arthas had you know basically ordered it purged after the undead had rampaged through it they made a raid on it seeking to find like the secret menace behind the undead because they had no idea they didn't know they didn't know about the dreadlords they didn't know about any of that stuff and in so doing, a Satan Dathrathan ran afoul of and was destroyed by Balnazar, the uh, the Dreadlord, who wore his body like a suit, mm-hmm. and and by doing so, took over the Scarlet Crusade and turned it into what it is today. Very slowly, began corrupting people, began you know manipulating. You know what de- what Dreadlords do. Um, while that was going on, though, while that whole process was happening. Mograine traveled to Ironforge, and when he got to Ironforge, he he went up to uh, the the current king at that time, Magni, Magni Bronzebeard, Bronzebeard yep. and he said, "I have you know I have this crystal. It's a powerful item of the light, and I want to do something to to, re- to protect my people and to avenge the great wrong done to them." And Magni was like, "Well, okay, um, Arthas killed my brother." As mm-hmm. far as he knew, that was true. He didn't know that his brother was still alive. It's like, you know, Arthas killed my brother, so I think I can help you. But this thing, I don't, I don't know how to make something. You know, I know how to make weapons. Yeah, I can't forge I'm, this, but I can make a weapon, right? Yeah. So he made this great sword, and the, basically left a notch in the sword for the crystal to go, and the crystal went into the sword and just infused it with its power and that's the origin of the ashbringer that's when it was made but the interesting thing was that the epithet ashbringer began be, was basically given to the sword and to mograine using it yeah because when he used it he would literally just turn like say say he was being attacked by a hundred undead each swing of his blade would turn 20 of them to ash they would just be disintegrated. And yes, the sword was very powerful, but it was the will of Mograine possessing it that made it the power that it was. The sword didn't do anything without a wielder because it's a sword. Swords don't do anything without a hand on them. Not even that, but even the light. Like we talked about yeah. this before, right? We talked about that. Absolutely. The, the light needs a vessel, but 
it needs to be directed. The light can be wielded. The light doesn't necessarily have a will of its own. Well, we know this even going back, and I, I've brought this guy up so many times. Uh, people must be sick of hearing me bring him up. I assure but you they're not. In Naxxramas, uh, there are the Four Horsemen. And in both iterations of the Four Horsemen in Naxxramas, there's been one of them, Zeliac, Sir Zeliac, yep. who uses the Holy Light even though he is undead. Because his belief is so is so devout and his will is so strong that even though he is a rotting corpse powered by the magic of death, he can still channel the light. Um, and we've seen what the light does in the Shadowlands. Uh, if you go to Revendreth, you can see what the light did. It burned half the zone to ash. Um, so this is no small feat for an undead to, con- to command the light. When using the the Ashbringer, Mograine was a was a a power to be to be feared. Um, as a result, Dathrasan realized if I don't get rid of this guy fairly quickly, he is going to figure out what's going on, and he's going to do that to me. So he made a deal with Kelthuzad. He reached out to Kelthuzad of all people. Now keep in mind that that Kelthuzad was working for Arthas at this time, who was working for the Lich King. Mm-hmm. He'd already tried to kill a couple of Dreadlords. They, these people were not allies. But both of them realized that guy's a problem. Uh, as long as he's around swinging that sword, we're all in trouble. Like Nobody's, nobody's evil plans are going to get be successful with this dealt with. And you know, Kel'Thuzad had the raw force to throw at Mograine, but that didn't matter. Because literally everything he had to use against Mograine was undead. And that's like, it would be, it would be like if you're hearing that the, the, the straw and hay bale people are declaring war against Mothros, Lord of Fire. <laughs> like, you know, it, it's, if Ragnaros was going to get into a giant fight with a pile of gasoline-soaked paper, you know, that, that's, that's, what, that's what was going on in terms of, you know, Kel'Thuzad killing Mograine. It was like, uh... Unless they all catch him when he's sleeping, this just is not going to work. But, but seeing Dathrathon, hmm? I was going to say, but then he had a plan. Yeah, and it was Dathrathan's plan, it, and of course, Dathrathan was really Balnazar. But Balnazar pointed out he's still a human; he's still a man, and men have weaknesses. His weakness is his children, because his wife is dead, but he has two sons. And since both of them were in the crusade, Dathrathan, Balnazar asked Dathrathan had time to study them. And he realized that Renault had ambition and felt trapped in his father's shadow. Yeah, that's, that's it right there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what he worked on. As a result, he got Renault slowly, but surely he got him around to betraying his own father, thinking he'd be the one to use the sword. Which um, technically is true to a certain extent. At least in that particular moment. Yes. Uh, to, to make this incredibly long story slightly shorter, um, Renault did get convince his father to come to a place. The, together, a massive wave of undead attacked them. This is, was this at Stratholme and not just a place. It was back yeah, at Stratholme. I believe, it, I believe it was at Stratholme. You're right. Yeah. Um, a massive wave of undead attacked them. As, as has previously been stated, the undead stood no chance, but there were so many of them that for a moment, Mograine, after destroying the the, the 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 last wave of them, Mograine was exhausted. So he he put the Ashbringer down and wiped his face to get the sweat out of it. And in that moment, Renault picked up the Ashbringer and drove it through his chest. I believe from behind. So it actually was, drove it through his back. And yeah, it was out from his, his chest. It was from behind, driving the blade and crystal through his father's body 
uh, and outside of it, which was a moment of extreme darkness for a lot of reasons. Yeah, for one thing, it's just a son betraying his father at the behest of a demon lord, even if he didn't know that. Um, it's you know, patricide is a big deal. It was also meant that the will that had been driving the sword was like presented with the utter ruin of everything he'd exactly. been trying to do. Yep. Like you know, I, all that struggle, all that fighting, all that trying to save his people, and who kills him? His own son. And that was perfect. Uh, as part of the deal, Kelthuzad claimed both Mograine and the sword and took them to Naxxramas. Uh, Balnazar, I don't know if Balnazar thought, well, fine, as long as he's not around here anymore. I'm not sure what Balnazar's thoughts on that were, but that's well, what mean, happened. And we can kind of speculate at least a little bit to a certain extent at this point, right? Because if, yeah, by extension, if uh, Balnazar was really truly serving the Paylords of the Shadowlands like the rest of uh, the Nathrism, like we think that he was, then at the end of it, ultimately everything, even the Lich King, was serving to that end. This was just another way of getting to whatever the end of that means was and removing that obstacle because Kel'Thuzad mm -hmm. could be dealt with later. That artifact plus, could be dealt yeah. with later. It had been corrupted. He saw it corrupted. And plus, ultimately, Kel you know, Kel'Thuzad was really working for the same goal as yeah. you know even if he didn't you know the, the the lich king had his own stuff going on but you know that they, they were basically on the same side even if if neither of them really fully knew it um so there's there's a lot to that but whatever happened they took the body and they corrupted mograine and brought him back as an as a death knight and when they did uh he was wielding the the ashbringer still which was now powered by the same darkness that was powering him um which is interesting because that's not the void. No, death, death and void are not the same thing. So it's interesting that the, the crystal apparently can adapt. But then again, if we look at the Atamal crystals, mm -hmm. which are if not Draenei, if not Naru themselves, they're they're you know Naru for lack of a better word, power. Uh, they all switch between different kinds of magic. Like Leaf Shadow is powered by nature magic. And we also know, so, and we also know that there's a certain level of a modification that can be done to them. Uh, jumping a little bit forward, especially if it is a piece of a Naru or a Naru body or whatever you want to call it, uh, if it's not just an Atomai crystal, which, again, it could also be that we don't know what the Atomai crystals are. They might be part of a Naru. Exactly. We don't know. They could be part of a Naru Prime or, or whatever. Uh, but look at what we learned about in Shadowlands. We know that the power of the Naru, particularly their light, their sort of resources, can be shifted and manipulated into such a way that even their own kind would not welcome them back. That's a whole plot point for some of the things that Denathrius was doing with well, the yeah, captured Naru. Also look look at Zira. Zira is another great example. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when her, when she gets destroyed, her pieces get taken up and used in the Nethalate Christ in the Nethalate Christforge. So I mean heck, look at what happened to Kaliamenethil, where the power of an Aru and the power of an undead were combined. Yep. And she became what she is. So all that aside the Ashbringer was corrupted. He used it. Um, I feel like I, I, there's so much more to talk about with the Ashbringer. It's, it's kind of like terrifying. I, I basically, when you raided original Nexramas, oh, yeah, you had the chance to get that, yeah. the, you want to talk about it? Cause I've been talking for a while. Yeah. So, so. this is one of the, the interesting things. This is one of the interesting breaks. Cause part of the original storyline for the original Nexramas actually leads into Nexramas 2.0. Eventually um, you are actually raiding Nexramas with the help in uh, part and parcel with the remaining Morgrain's son because Darien has found out that his father's body 
at this point has been resurrected and is being used as essentially one of the four riders of the apocalypse in Naxxramas. He's one of the four horsemen. Uh, and he helps, he wants to go resurrect or resurrect his father. He wants to go free his father uh, with a, not just you, but a small party of Argent Dawn members at the time. At this point, you are a member of the Argent Dawn uh, in everything but name, I think. Uh, but when he gets there, uh, Al- Morgrain, Alexandros Morgrain is unresponsive to his son, please. Uh, and even his attempts to redeem him, forcing Darien to kill his father again. And at this point, Darien comes into possession of the corrupted Ashbringer. Um, he has these moments, but if you, the player, let's say because it was a drop, uh, you could actually break the story a little bit and have your hands on the corrupted Ashbringer. And you could take it with you. And this is one of the most interesting interactions that items in this game have ever had. And I think it might have been the first. If you were to take it to any of, I think it was the Scarlet Monastery. It was specifically the last wing of the Scarlet Monastery. Yeah, the barracks or whatever it was. I forgot. No, what, no, the uh, the cathedral. The cathedral. And you were to walk in, let's say, make it all the way to the actual cathedral itself and walk in. The NPCs would react to you if you had it equipped. They would kneel. They would not be aggressive to you at all. And there were specific, like, written lines to acknowledge that the Ashbringer walked among them. And it was this ridiculously important thing that very few people ever got to experience. Uh, But in the canon, the actual story of it, Darien is the one that wound up getting it. Um, And in that particular moment, his father's voice, his father's soul, or whatever it is, we don't know what it is, or if it was more trickery, uh, led him to a portal that took him back to the Plaguelands, which then led him to Renault at the Scarlet Monastery, where he confronted his brother, uh, who tried to kill him. And before Renault was able to deal the final blow, the corrupted Ashbringer acted on its own uh, and basically burned Renault alive in a form of green flames that took on the, the, the guise of Alexandros. Uh, in dreadnought armor, and as Renault begged for forgiveness, uh, he was slain by his father, who then said he was forgiven. And then the spirit, or what we think is this part of the spirit of Alexandros, then retreated back into the blade. The interesting thing is this particular moment, we never knew as like when Shadowlands started if this was something that actually happened or if it was just a manifestation of power or an imprint, there's a possibility that a piece of Alexandros still resides inside the Ashbring because now we know that souls can be fractured and they can have an imprint upon them. Like there is some weird. And, and if you, I'm just now starting to think about this, I apologize. But the interesting thing about that too, is we know that the jailer was holding pieces of souls in crystals. Mm-hmm. We don't know what those crystals were, if he used them or forged them, or if he was just happened to find, I don't know, bits of a Naru, shove souls inside of them. So there's a possibility that there's a little piece of Alexandros Morgrain that isn't actually in Maldraxxus at this point. Which yeah, is much just the same way we've seen that. We saw that that happened with other people. We've seen it with uh, Uther, of all people. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's possible. Um, And then at some point after, I believe, Darien tried to use the Ashbringer, I think it was to kill himself, wasn't it? He did kill himself with it. Yeah. So he, he killed um, himself, and I think it was some misbegotten thing that he thought he was going to be able to free his father, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Instead, he became a death knight himself. Yep. Taking up his father's if, role. If you uh, played a death knight in the original opening storyline in, in Wrath, which I believe is still there if you roll up one of the main races, but it might not be. I don't know. I haven't rolled up a new death knight in a while. But 
Uh, if you play that story, uh, Darian essentially trains you up to be a Death Knight. You go through a whole bunch of stuff, and then you attack Light's Hope Chapel. This is going to come into to these stories of these artifacts later. But at Light's Hope Chapel, you're you know you're sent in to destroy the Argent Dawn once and for all. There's a massive battle, and finally. Um, Tyrion Fordring, who you guys know from the quests, like he made you go get him worm meat to eat and, and so forth. He comes out and he's basically been redeemed as a paladin. He'd, he'd never lost his connection to the light and he shows why they have this temple at the, uh, at Light's Hope, the Lost, you know, Light's Hope Chapel, why, why it's there, why it's called Light's Hope. The power of the place is there's like thousands of, of sanctified souls sleeping entombed in it they're dead the, their bodies are dead they're dead people but the power that they channeled in life is still there waiting and when the undead set foot on the place it came out and it just it it obliterates the undead army the uh death knights are like basically forced to their knees the the fighting darian a uh, Tyrion is uh overpowers darian in a moment and as this is all going on Arthas himself shows up and says, this was just to draw you out. I, I, I was willing to sacrifice all these death knights just to kill you. Just because that thing, I'm, I'm not going to make the mistake Kel'Thuzad made. I'm just getting rid of that thing and you once and for all. And as he's killing Tyrion, Darian realizes that, you know, Arthas has been using him from the beginning, that, that the Lich King is always using him. And he throws the Ashbringer to Tyrion. The interesting thing in this moment is that the battle is raging on and the the Lich King still has the Helm of Domination at this point, but something breaks the control that, that he had over Darien because that, that bond is broken. That Probably the light, but we don't know how it did it. We don't know how it did it at all. But regardless, when the Ashbringer is in his possession, Tyrion is practically invulnerable uh, to Arthas at this point, um, especially since they're standing not Saiyans on top of Ice Crown which is very clearly you know, the, powered by the, the death magic that empowers Arthas. It's on the Light's Hope Chapel grounds, which is where the, the light is supreme, and Arthas is forced to retreat. Like he, If he stayed and fought, he would most likely have fallen right there, um, because that's, that was its place of power. And in so doing, the Ashbringer is, is purged. It immediately resumes its form as a, a being of the light, a blade of the light. It's later seen again several times during wrath of the lich king and obviously after arthas fell Tyrion, i wouldn't say he retired exactly but he went into kind of a you know i don't have anything else to do right now so i'm gonna go back home to hearth Glen, and i'm gonna p- turn it back into a place where people can live um and that's basically what he did he meant him in the argent dawn Dargent crusade i don't know what you even call him at this point they basically resettled uh, hearth Glen, and they tried cleansing some of the corruption and some of the plague out of the plague lands um, with, with mixed success. Um, I'd say hearth Glen was pretty well purged. I would agree. Um, <laughs> purged. Uh, and I'd say some of the, the Eastern plague lands lost some of its plague. I, I, I would certainly not say that the plague lands as a whole are free, but they're definitely less corrupted than they were. And, and um, it'll probably continue to happen, too, because the power of the light, or at least the power of the people that are there, that's not going anywhere. Like, if anything, during the course of Legion, you sort of fortify at least Light's Hope Chapel mm-hmm. and everything around it. Like, it becomes not just a a bastion of the light in name or a bastion of the light in, in dormancy, 
it's active. You, there's there's literally a light forge in it. There you are. There the chapel itself is this massive construct that then draws paladins from all over uh, to worship and to combat. You know, in this particular case, against the legion. And uh, it's it's interesting that. Uh, as far as I know, it's still being used this way. Yep. Paladins from from both factions go there and and work together uh, against the Legion, and they're probably still at least meeting up there once in a while. Um, for all that you know, you got guys like like uh, oh, heck, I want to call him Tyrion, but he's not Tyrion. A uh, Tyrion, Tyrion, of course, when he shows up, doesn't quite have the same cross factional respect, but you know, he's an older school guy. He comes from a different period of time. So literally it, it, for him, it's been a thousand years. Um, but there, for the most part, the, you, you, when you go to lights, hope you can see paladins of every stripe. You can see like blood elf paladins. You can see Torin paladins, Draenei paladins, dwarf paladins, human paladins. They're all there and they're all working together to, against the Legion. Um, so Ashbringer is kind of like a symbol of that at this point. It's it's passed from Mogren to, to Fordring to whoever wields it. And the way you get it is actually tied up in Balnazar again, too. Um, we've been talking about the Ashbringer for a while, and I do want to get to the other artifacts. But I feel like we have to talk at least about how the player gets the Ashbringer uh, in in Legion. Do you want to do that, or do you want me to do it? Uh, let's, I'll, I'll go in and you can just kind of jump in and kind of correct me wherever I need to, because I don't have a perfect memory on this one. Uh, so one of the things that starts happening at the beginning of Legion is, well, the Legion is invading Azeroth. Uh, Tyrion Fordring and the Argent Crusade, uh, make their way to the Broken Shore ahead of the main Alliance and Horde forces as they are attempting to kind of get the jump and stop Gul'dan. Uh, the Crusade is actually doing a pretty decent job at one point where it's cutting a swath through the Legion, um, but it is taking ma- like losses. This military force of, of uh, paladins and warriors uh, devoted to the light can only do so much by themselves. Uh, and at some point, Tyrion winds up getting captured by Gul'dan. Uh, and then this is where roughly about the time that the main assault forces of the combined uh, factions of Azeroth show up. Uh, Gul'dan laughs uh, as the power of the Legion sort of overwhelms everybody, uh, in particular Tyrion Fordring, and summons Crossus, who would be a raid boss that we would fight later. Uh, it's a massive demon to, in order to finish him. Uh, it is a blast of pure fellfire, if I remember correctly, that just starts laying into Tyrion uh, and sort of, well, kind of messes his day up uh he falls defeated into a lake of fell if i remember right uh and that is sort of like the the beginning of the fall of Tyrion Fordring. um but there's this point where he is believed to be alive still and retribution paladins are instructed to retrieve him uh from the broken shore and it's at landing on the shore i think it's is it lord maxwell that, that maxwell tarosius if you yeah it's yeah. lord maxwell tarosius uh Helps you with a fight against uh, the Jailer Zarius, I believe it was, uh, and the demons that he has at his command in order to try to get at and uh, save Tyrion. Uh, When you get to him, after you finally make your way through, Tyrion is nearly dead. uh, And he has this moment where a good friend of his, and I'm saying that with quotes here, uh, the Dreadlord Balnazar kind of taunts him and tells him you need to follow your destiny. Uh, and with the Ashbringer doing what it does best, 
uh, it kind of is the last thing he does is takes it up in that one moment. Uh, he, yeah, it, it's it's this weird moment where they they 